Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Caliber. Today's episode focuses on the macroeconomic backdrop of markets, the threat of recession, and outlook for a variety of asset classes. We wrap with investor sentiment and a few words of wisdom for how to invest during a particularly challenging time. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by David Coombs, manager of the elite-rated Rathbone Strategic Growth Portfolio. Thank you for joining us again, David. No problem. Glad to be here. Let's start with the fund itself. Obviously, this is a a risk-targeted fund. Could you maybe start by explaining to the listeners what that is and why it might be suitable for investors in an uncertain period like this? Yeah, strategic growth is um, kind of our middle risk in fund in the range. Um, it, It has a targeted risk and also a targeted return. So where it's a little bit different is that we have these two targets. So it's inflation plus 3% with a risk uh, target of uh, two thirds of global equity volatility. And, you know, they are treated equally, both in terms of the attention we pay to the objectives, but also the way that I'm remunerated as well. So totally aligned to those, those uh, um Return. I think the way to look at it is that we, I, I look at that as a risk budget in that I always spend it. And that's the way to think about this fund. I'm, I'm not trying to completely um, be negotiated to markets like some multi asset funds. You know, we will participate in the upside and the downside, hopefully more on the upside than the downside is the, the aim. But I, I look at that risk as I, I, what I have to spend to generate the return. That's the way to think about it. Okay. Um- Let's look at the markets now. Obviously, every hour, most asset classes have fallen year to day and the economy is sort of in a bit of a flux at the moment. Could you maybe just give us your outlook? Are we moving from inflationary concerns to a recessionary environment? How, how do you see things at the moment? Um, so I, I, I don't think, I think the equity of um, fixed income markets and currency markets are in a, a flux, very good word. Uh, I, I think that all these markets are struggling to answer your question. Uh, I think, yeah, as someone who's been in the recessionary camp for now nigh on 12 months and felt quite lonely and now feel that there's lots of people around me agreeing, I think it's now not if we have a recession, it's how deep is the recession. And that's what the markets are trying to discount. And I think they're trying to discount them ever more quickly. Um, I, I find it extraordinary that already the markets are tilling towards rate cuts in the US in Q1 next year. I think that's that feels very optimistic to me right now. Uh, it's certainly not my core assumption. Um, my uh, my working assumption has not changed all year. It's that the Fed funds uh, peak Fed fund rates will be between three and a half and three 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 and three quarters percent. I don't, I don't see any reason to change that view. That's why I was increasing my exposure to quality growth and duration during. Uh, May and June, uh, and taking my cash levels to, to almost zero. Um, I still think that's where the Fed pauses. That's why I do feel quite optimistic. I think a cut, though, for me would be an acknowledgement that Fed made a mistake, and I, I just don't quite see that. So I do worry that the current rally is a little bit too exuberant, and I'm taking some profits into that. Um, I do, though, think that inflation probably falls to 3 to 4% for the next 12 to 18 months out. There are some out there saying zero inflation or below two. I, again, I think that feels I'm not sure that's optimistic or pessimistic, actually, because that probably would mean a very deep recession. My sense is the US will have a relatively shallow recession and the Europe will have a much deeper one for the reasons that are probably obvious with regards to energy. Um, but, you know, there's lots of room for both positive and negative surprises right now. So 
I think we're going to see a lot of volatility. And just for clarity for the listeners, when you say Europe, do you include the UK in that in on this? Yes, energy? I do. Okay. I mean, I think the UK you know, is in a slightly better position than Europe, but it's definitely not isolated from the situation there. Obviously, Germany is is the obvious um, victim of, of of the you know the the, the Russian gas imports, but um, you know the UK will not not be isolated. We don't have the reserves in the UK, so we're going to be probably have to go into the open market to, to, to fill gaps. So, yeah, I think the UK and Europe are in a very, very difficult position. And you a bit there, but in terms of applying that outlook to the portfolio, how much, you know, you look at a lot of asset classes. So how, how much does that outlook get applied to the portfolio in a sort of, you know, company versus economy outlook? Do you, do you sort of focus more on the companies or focus more on the economies or is there a balance to that, an example of that if possible? Yeah, so yeah, certainly when it comes to bond markets, you definitely put more on the economies because clearly that has an impact on currency and interest rates uh, and defaults, for example, uh, particularly in, in corporate world. So you know, going back to June, you know, we were buying sterling high yield bonds because the yields were very elevated for, for very obvious reasons, uh, and there's a lot of selling. So we took advantage of that. On a view that we think UK inflation will be around three to four percent, as I just said earlier. So yields to maturity of seven to nine percent feel quite attractive on the three to four year view. Uh, but that's really based on, on a weak economy, which is going to drive that inflation down and interest rates won't be raised, won't rise too 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 much. On the equity side, it's the opposite. You know, we we have very little exposure to UK domestic companies that are exposed to the UK economy. And similarly in Europe. Almost, you know, very little exposure to European domestic stocks either. Have no European banks, no UK banks. We have US banks. So, in on the equity portfolio, very much focused on being away from those economies I've talked about that I think have a chance of a deeper recession. In the bond markets, you know, we are looking for value uh, in case we get those recessions and and increasing duration uh, if yields push up. So. Yeah, it's a completely different way of looking at it across the different asset classes. And in terms of valuations on on sort of holdings, would you, would you have taken advantage of, say, for example, you know, the tech market fell quite badly at the start of this year? Would would that have been an opportunity? Would you immediately go, oh, now is the time for to to tap into some of these companies at these lower prices? Yeah, so yeah, we we, we were adding to our technology names in both first quarter and second quarter. Uh, and, you know, it's really testing our patience and resolve because some of those names just kept falling. But, you know, very strict discipline in the fund that we have minimum um, position sizing. So that forces us in a way to keep adding to those names. We've obviously benefiting that from that, given the rally in tech names in July and August. We also took the opportunity for the first time to buy Apple as it came back to a valuation that we felt was much in tune with the where we think the opportunities for growth for that company are. So it allowed us to uh, say add to our existing tech names. And just to be clear, we have a very much bias to quality tech, highly profitable, low debt, mm-hmm. high return on equity tech, not skitty technology names, uh, which were much more, you know, I, I still think they're pretty vulnerable in the current environment. Um, obviously the funds sort of, fits into sort of three buckets in which we've talked about before. Could you maybe just go through each one again and just highlight what you're doing in the portfolio at the moment? You, you've mentioned bonds as a sort of recessionary hedge and, um, yeah. and it, 
these are sort of the largest portion. Maybe just talk us through what's happening in each one at the moment and, and tie it in. Yeah, so I, I guess most of the action's been in, 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 in the liquidity bucket and bonds, really. Um, so we've been reducing our exposure to TIPS, US index linked bonds and switching conventionals. So we've been adding to our US 10-year, Canadian 10-year and Australian 10-year bonds. And that's on trying to mitigate recessionary risks because yields tend to fall. Now, we, we did this a few weeks ago when uh, yields were a little bit higher than they are now. The 10-year with US 10-year is around 350. It's now down at 280. So we stopped buying for now. But you know, we would be buyers on weakness. So, so to say within government bonds, switching away from index things to conventionals, and then in so that's in the L bucket, and also we've taken our cash down to near zero, whereas at the start of the year we were around about ten percent. So we took the opportunity the first six months to use up our cash reserves, if you like. As other people were raising cash, we were kind of reducing ours, taking advantage particularly stealing high yield, where we saw a lot of ETFs and big managers having to, to sell positions. We were kind of the other side of that trade. In the equity type risk bucket, stealing high yield is falls into that. So that's an addition. The equity portfolio, like I just said earlier, no big swings around, just adding to our high conviction names, really. We've, we've changed very little. I saw that you um, you were sort of looking at with a view to eventually things will turn and there'll be an opportunity in equities. Is that something that's in the back of your mind as well for the allocation you have to that portion of the portfolio? Yeah, I mean, we we, we, we maintained our equity levels all through first and second quarter. So uh, we were buyers all the way through. We were also very lucky that we had inflows every day into the fund pretty much over the first six months, I think. Since, since July and August as well. So that's been helpful in, in allowing us to keep adding to those names. So, And equities is the biggest allocation. It's like two thirds of the portfolio, isn't six, it? 67% moment, yeah. Yeah, okay. so um, we've, we've maintained that that weighting and slightly increased it during during the first half of the year. Um, I feel very comfortable doing that. Um, we've, we've added in our diversified bucket some, some put options in the last few weeks as well to, to hopefully, you know, um, mitigate any if this is a bear rally and it 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 it's kind of um, peters out. We're we're adding some protection in the diverse buyers bucket. Uh, we've also bought some other uh, uh, strategies within the diverse buyers bucket that hopefully, again, we interest rate volatility, for example. So we don't really mind if interest rates go up or down, but as long as interest rate expectations continue to be volatile, which they are we will make money from that transaction. So diversified bucket is full of those types of trades where actually it's not particularly correlated to the direction of the markets. We kind of should generate returns as markets return to normalization. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, touching on the diversified bucket, but it, it sort of applies to the whole portfolio in general. I mean, a lot has been made of the first half of this year about the challenges of finding diversified sources of return in this sort of climate. Has it become more challenging in your eyes? And are there any sort of specific areas you've you've focused on, and any and I guess any sort of lessons you've learned from what we've seen in the part in you know this year in terms of finding those diversified sources of return and trying to smooth out returns for for clients? Um, to be honest, we found more ideas in the diversified bucket this year. I have to say, and that that's partly because we've seen such a big dislocation in markets that there's been lots of risk being mispriced. So, for example, I won't go into all of the ones we bought, but we bought something called a, a, futures, a futures quality futures curve trade. 
And this is basically because at the moment, spot prices of many, many commodities this year, because of the invasion, spot prices, that's the immediate prices of commodities, have been higher than future prices of those commodities. Now, most of the time, the 12-month price, for example, is higher than the current price because storage costs, just as a, as a simple example. So we just bought a trade that will make money if the futures curves go back to normal when the futures prices are higher than the current prices. And, and so because futures pricing is so is, is being so volatile because of the, the short-term impact of, or hopefully short-term impact, of uh, as we come out of COVID and the supply chain issues, you've had this huge mispricing of commodities for delivery. And, and so there are lots of opportunities like that in the market where, the, where you can take advantage of this priced risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get shown lots of ideas. In fact, our biggest problem has been identifying the ones which we think give us the best um, set of returns, which are uncorrelated to the rest of our portfolio. Where I think what you're referring to is probably in the areas like property and infrastructure, where we don't see many opportunities actually uh, as a diversifier. Um, and we, we, we've held commodities, and that's been a very good diversifier this year. You know, industrial metals and agricultural commodities, you know, that, that's really helped us. We're now taking profits from those. Mm-hmm. So, so, no, diversifiers has not been a difficult area to find ideas at all, and it's performed very well for us uh, as offset that sort of growthier equity style that we have. So that's worked really well. Um, what have I learned this year? Frankly, that this year is very similar to all other crises. I mean, I've been doing this for nearly 40 years. I mean, don't, I don't want to play the ageist cap here, but I have worked with a number of crises and, you know, they're all different, yet they're all the same in that the market's become dislocated. I think the one big difference now is because the amount of algorithmic trading and passive trading Everything happens much faster, and the daily trading patterns of individual bonds and stocks is more predictable in a weird sort of way because they trade in blocks. And so, a lot, a lot of people are panicking about everything falling in a quarter, but you know, you're not investing for a quarter; you're investing for a long period. And I think that's being overlooked to a degree, and a lot of headlines have been put out there to not spook investors, but certainly make them very aware of it. And it's it, it can be a bit offsetting, I think. I think that's right. I think, I mean, I was chatting to an investor funny enough on, on Friday and, you know, I think what you're paying me to do in a way is to, is to not be overly emotional during, because a lot of emotion trades get done in months like this because of that fear of markets are falling and, and, you know, we become risk averse. You know, I've been adding risk all year, whereas many people have been taking risk away. And I guess that's being a professional who, manage money through various crises, accepting that you don't know and not trying to second guess things and read all this doom and gloom or false optimism and just keeping to what you do and believing in your process. And that's very boring, it sounds. But actually, you know, I think it's never more appropriate than during these periods. And that's, I think, what we do. We're not, we try and take that emotion out of the investing side and try and keep the noise away and focus on sticking to your core principles. You mentioned the core principles. Obviously, there's, you've got the title of growth in the actual fund name. What about style investment, style biases? Do you take on board value and, and this sort of idea that there's a tug of war perhaps going on or that value could be? We're in a different cycle and all of a sudden value's in 
Interesting. Does that even come onto the radar in this portfolio? It comes to the radar only in the, in the sense that a lot of people believe that, so I can't ignore it um, because it'll affect how markets work, right? I'll be honest, I, I, I'm hugely suspicious of this growth value thing and the definitions of them because they they tend to be quite transient. So I try not to get too caught up in worrying a lot about that. I, I still think, being a bit old-fashioned, that investing in businesses that grow and have and have very strong balance sheets and market-leading product or service is how you make more money over the long term. And if you want to call that a growth stock or a value stock, I don't really care. I suspect they typically would be called growthier and that that is reflected, but that's not, I don't think of myself as a growth manager. I just think of myself as buying decent businesses. Um, Notwithstanding that, if you get a massive value rally or or a dash for trash, as we call it, then we are going to be the wrong side of that. And uh, and I'd make no apologies for that, to be honest. I'm not trying to shift short term. I mean, I watch with interest that many people, because a lot of the equity funds out there had a tough time and they ended up in the first six months and people, oh, rebalance your portfolio, you were too exposed, make sure you got more in value. At the end of June, I'm thinking, crikey, I think you're kind of rebalancing after, <laughs> it's a lot of it's already happened. And I think there was yeah, a you sometimes think when you see this value's done this, you kind of feel like it's a bit too late already for, for, for that, even if there is a new cycle with inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just finish. You mentioned four decades in the industry and that you've seen everything. Um, very uncertain times. What what would be your message to investors given your experience in the market at the moment? It's don't get too much, right? You know, I mean, I, we had a very difficult Q1 relative to our peers. Q2, we were better. Q3, we're doing a lot better. So we we're regaining that lost ground in Q1. And we, the reason we didn't do so in Q1 is we had much less money in UK equities and the kind of value trade you're just referring to. But, you know, I wasn't going to switch back into those areas which I just don't believe in. And I guess the message is you you have to stick to what you know and and acknowledge what you don't know and, and just switch off all the noise because it can panic you into making, yeah, silly short-term knee-jerk reactions. So I think... We are in for a period of geo's instability and markets are going to be volatile. And I think one needs to just accept that's going to happen and not look too often at your your ISA statement on whichever platform you have of choice. And remember, you're a long-term investor. That's what I am. And um, yeah, not get too caught up in it because... I'm afraid it's very, and in the world world of 24-hour rolling news, it's very easy to 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 overreact to, to things. I think. On that note, thank you very much for your time, David. Thank you for giving us uh, some of your bars of wisdom on markets today. No problem. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Launched in June 2009, Rathbone's strategic growth portfolio has an outcome-focused approach and complete flexibility of where to invest in order to achieve that. It has a target of cash plus 3 to 5% a year over a minimum five-year period and a big focus on delivering this via a risk-controlled framework. To learn more about the Rathbone Strategic Growth Portfolio, visit our website, funcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. 
Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Caliber's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Caliber's research team only. 